The following message was brought to you by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning worship service. Today we have a message from one of our elders, Mike Jones, in a sermon he's entitled, Living a Fruitful Life. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 15, and Mike is looking at verses 1 through 17 this morning. Here's Mike. Thank you, Tom, and the worship team for leading us before the throne. Before I begin, just to uh, let you know, my name is Mike Jones. I'm not one of the uh, pastors. I'm a sub-pastor this morning. And for those of you who uh, maybe started attending RBC recently, just to tell you a little bit about myself, uh, my wife and I grew up in Pomona, California, and attended Pomona First Baptist Church where Virginia and I met. It was actually the night Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. Uh, and we uh, lived there. We moved from the San, out uh, from Pomona to the San Fernando Mary, uh, Valley shortly after we uh, were married. And for a period of time there, we weren't walking with the Lord, but we did um, come back to the Lord. From there, we moved to Oregon, uh, we served in little churches on the Oregon coast. From there, we went to Canada, where I studied uh, at a Bible college. And after that, I graduated and pastored two churches on the Canadian prairies And before moving back to California. For the last 10 years, RBC has been our home. I've been involved in a number of things, as well as my wife, and uh, served on the elder board and filled in preaching and teaching. So uh, let's get started. God wants his people to be living fruitful lives. The idea that the Christian life is merely going to church week after week where we sing the songs and we get the warm and fuzzies, we hear inspiring messages, a Bible lesson or in Bible school, go out to lunch afterwards only to return to our routines without making a difference for the kingdom of God is not God's idea of living a fruitful Christian life. And I know from experience what that's like because I've been a Christian since 1959. And what I've just described is the way I did church for the first 14 years of my life. In my teen years and early 20s, that was my idea of the normal Christian life. But in 1973, something changed. Virginia and I rededicated our lives to the Lord. And we began attending Grace Community Church where we really began to grow. And one area that we grew in was understanding what it meant to be spirit-filled, to abide in Christ, and to begin using the gifts and abilities that God had given us to serve him. It was the first time in my Christian life that I was beginning to live a fruitful Christian life for the Lord. And I'd served the Lord in the past because when we attended Pomona First Baptist Church, I was president both in the high school department and also the college career department. In all those years, I really didn't understand what it meant to abide in Christ. So I knew the act. I knew how Christians were supposed to act, and that's how I lived. And I wasn't trying to be a phony. I just wasn't abiding in Christ. Living a fruitful life was so significant to Jesus that the night, the last night that he spent with his disciples, he spent a period of time, 17 verses in the Gospel of John, explaining to the disciples that they needed to abide in him. 
So turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 15. In today's lesson, Jesus is using the illustration of vines and branches to explain that we are designed to live fruitful lives for God, which is only possible by abiding in Christ. So John chapter 15, and let's stand as we read God's word together. John chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. I am the vine, excuse me, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch that withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples." As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. You may be seated. Believers are designed to live fruitful life for God by bearing fruit. Now Jesus opens in verse 1 using one of the seven I am statements. There's actually more than seven in the Gospel of John. John. But throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus has referred to himself as the I am. He said, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the light of the world. In John 10, he said, I am the gate for the sheep. In John 10, he also said, he is the good shepherd. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And now, he says, I am the true vine. When Jesus said and called himself the true vine, he was making a contrast. He could have just said, well, I'm the vine and you're the branches. But he said, I'm the true vine. He was comparing himself to the vine of the Old Testament, which the disciples and any Jewish person living in Palestine would have understood. In the Old Testament, 
the vine was the symbol of the nation Israel. And it was pictured as God's vine or God's vineyard. And there are several passages in the Old Testament we could look at, but we only have time to cover one that I hope will get this idea across. It comes from Isaiah chapter 5, verse 7, and I'll just read it. It says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. The historian Josephus tells us that on the large doors of Herod's temple, there was a golden vine with large clusters that were as big as a man. And the clusters, uh, excuse me, the leaves uh, were made of gold and the clusters were made of diamonds and pearls. So for a Jewish person, the idea of being connected to God, being of the vine or the vineyard was something that they understood. But the problem is that Israel, who was pictured as God's vineyard, should have been producing fruit, but they had become degenerate. They were not depending on God. Instead, they had run after the false gods of the nations that were around them. It's as if Jesus was saying, you know, you think that you're a branch of the vine because you belong to Israel, but it is I who am the true vine. And when Jesus calls himself the true vine, he says, I am. That phrase is the name for Jehovah God. You remember when Moses was asked to go and speak to Pharaoh, and you may not realize that Moses, this, but Moses had a stuttering problem. He stuttered, and he was supposed to go to Pharaoh, and he wanted God to tell him, in whose name am I going to speak? And God's answer was, I am that I am. Jesus here is invoking the name of God that shows his deity. The reason we need to be connected to the vine is because by being connected to the vine, we're connected to the I am of the Bible. And Jesus is that I am. Being Jewish won't save you or being part of any other religion. It's only people who are connected to the true vine, Jesus Christ, through saving faith who can bear fruit. In verses 1 and 2, Jesus also spoke of the father as the vine dresser who is pruning the branches. And why is he doing this? Well, he's doing this so that the vine can produce more fruit. And who are the branches? Well, look down for a moment at verse 5, and we see that we are the branches. He said the disciples were branches, and, and today that's us. So we see here that God was busy pruning the branches that did not bear fruit so that they could bear more fruit. And that's what God did to me in 1973. We rededicated our lives to the Lord. He convicted me of my wayward uh, life for about three years between the time we moved um, to the San Fernando Valley and before we started attending Grace Community Church. We were not walking with the Lord. We were going to parties on the weekend. And God, when we came back to the Lord, was pruning me in Virginia. He pruned me of my pack-a-day smoking habit. I can't believe today that I used to smoke a pack and a half of cigarettes uh, a day. I also worked at a bicycle store in the San Fernando Valley. It was a... a, uh, 
bicycle store and I work with guys and we almost had a contest who could see who could outswear the other guy. And so I had this really foul mouth. And today I still have problems with once in a while if something pops out and it just grieves me when I do that. But, but he cleaned up my mouth. He was also pruning me of the pride that I had for the success that I was enjoying at work. I was managing out in the San Fernando Valley the Total Concept Schwinn Bicycle Store, which was the store Schwinn was trying to get all the other stores to model, just like Starbucks, what Starbucks did for coffee. We did pioneering uh, bicycle stores. Well, there was a certain amount of success with that. Virginia and I were living in the Valley Country Club apartments in Sherman Oaks, driving a new car, starting to acquire the toys that uh, we enjoyed, and uh, there was pride that went along with that that the Lord was pruning me from. It was a time in my life when Virginia and I were growing and learning. We were checking out tapes at Grace Community, and I was taking two or three messages home, and at night after work, getting out my Bible, popping a tape in the recorder, having a notepad and pen, and for the first time in my life, I was doing something I had never done before. I was studying. (laughs) And on top of that, I was studying the Bible. Because in school, I just barely made it through high school. I was even failing art. (laughs) I had to transfer to woodshop so that I could graduate. So you have to understand, doing what I'm doing here today does not come natural for me. It's a God thing. But God was cleaning us up and causing us to grow and nurturing us. In verse 3, we saw the disciples were clean because of the word that was spoken to them. Well, back in chapter 13, Jesus defined what that meant. After he had washed the disciples' feet, he said, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. The 11 of the, 11 of the disciples were clean. But there was one who was not clean because he was not saved. Being born again is the only way that we can be connected to the true vine, to the I am, and have a fruitful life. And being cleaned is really the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you are regenerated, you are made clean by the Holy Spirit. That never happened to Judas. And it's possible this morning that there may be someone here who has never really come to saving faith in Christ and is really not a part of the vine and We would hope and pray that if that's the case, you would put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Secondly, believers are designed to live a fruitful life by abiding in Christ. In verses 4 and 5, the key to living a fruitful life is when we abide in Christ and he abides in us. Well, what does it mean to abide? What's he talking about? Well, the word there means to remain. Another word that could be used would be to tabernacle. You remember when God tabernacled among his people? It means to remain. You might paraphrase that to be at home with the Lord. And so we are to abide in Christ. 
The Christian life was not designed to be lived on our own or to be lived independently of God or in isolation. We are to be dependent on Christ and each other. But how often do we go through a day where we're not abiding in Christ and we're just sort of doing our own thing? We're making our plans. Uh, Every day I, I kind of start out the day with my planner and I'm making all the plans of all the things that I have to accomplish at work and after work and on the weekend and everything else. But how often are we making our plans but not including the Lord? He's not directing our steps. Or we face a trial and then we use our own ingenuity. We, I, I got this. I, I can handle this. I know how to do this. I got a problem. Uh, I have a financial need and for everything else there's MasterCard, right? And we, we just kind of take the bull by the horns and try to fix things on our own. There have been many times, even as a pastor, that I tried to do things on my own. I was pastoring a church, but there was a lot of strife in the church. There were relatives who weren't talking to relatives. There were marriages that were on the brink of divorce and friction and fighting and and homes. There were people squabbling over different things in the church. There were two youth groups. Both of them were pretty small to really do anything significant. So some people thought, well, we should put the groups together. Other people thought, no, we shouldn't do that. And people were actually fighting over this stuff. And I was just like, really? Come on, folks. And so on the next Sunday, I was going to preach a come-to-Jesus meeting. We're going to have a come-to-Jesus meeting. And I was going to exhort everybody in the Lord. And as I was preparing for that Sunday, the Lord was tapping me on the shoulder and saying, no, Mike, that's, that's not what I want you to do. But I was convinced that that was what I was going to do, and I went right ahead with my plans. Well, Sunday morning arrived, and it was early. I was laying in bed. The phone rang. Picked up the phone. It was one of the elders from the church. He said, are, are we having church today? I said, why wouldn't we be having church he said, well, have you looked outside? Well, I said, no. He said, we better go look out, take a look. So I went to the bedroom window. I looked outside. And during the night, the Lord had caused a snowfall. There was four feet of snow blanketing the ground. There was no way anybody was going to church. The Lord said, Mike, when I say no, <laughs> I mean no. So even as a pastor, you can do things on your own. He kept a young, foolish pastor from fleecing the flock and from uh, shooting himself in the foot. Well, look at verse 6. There it talks about branches being burned up. And what's all that about? Well, there's really three different views uh, about this. And one view is uh, those who are of the Arminian persuasion believe that a person could lose their salvation. So you could fall away from Christ You could lose your salvation. You would end up in the fires of hell eventually. Jacob uh, Arminius uh, disagreed with Calvin's position on the perseverance of the saints. Calvin taught that all who were truly saved would persevere to the end. And that's where we get our doctrine of eternal security or the security of the believer. Those are actually two different things. But we believe and teach at Rancho Baptist Church that all who are truly saved will persevere to that day when we stand in the presence of Christ and his glory. But 
uh, Jacob Arminius taught that, well, no, God gives you the grace so you can endure to the end. But he looked at passages like this and others and believed that, no, but you could fall away and thus lose your salvation. So that's one way people look at this. The second view is that the burned branches represent Christians and their works that are evaluated at the judgment seat of Christ. And in 1 Corinthians 3.15, it talks about uh, our works being tested by fire. There are works that are uh, going to end up as hay, stubble, and straw. They're going to be consumed, consumed by the fire, yet we will be saved. And so some people see uh, this passage in verse 6 as referring to that. But the only problem with that is that um, I lost my place is that it's the dead branches that are being burned. Sorry. And then the third view is that the burned branches refer to those who make a profession of faith but have not been born again or truly saved. Remember, I referred to Judas a few moments ago. Judas was not clean. He had never been regenerated by the Spirit of God. He acted like the disciples, He walked among them, and they never even caught on. In fact, when Jesus announced that he's going to be betrayed by somebody in the room, they're all looking at each other and and asking, is it me? Who is it, Lord? They didn't all turn their heads and go. (laughs) And look at Judas, right? He had everybody fooled, but Jesus. And it's possible that there are people who come to church, and they know how to act like I did. They've heard the messages over and over again, but they've never come to that place where they've put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and been regenerated by the Spirit of God and are in danger of the fire of hell. So those are three different ways that people have looked at that. I believe that the branch that's thrown away and burned, excuse me, I don't believe (laughs) that the branch that is thrown away and burned refers to believers. Look back at verse 2. It says that every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. In some translations, like the NIV and the New Living Translation, instead of translating it, he takes away, it says he cuts off. And so when you look at that and you look at verse 6, you can get the idea that God uh, takes uh, fruitless believers, excuse me, got to back up, and, and these people are discarded and burned up. So the phrase, however, to be uh, cut off or taken away can also be translated, he lifts them up. So you could have one idea where God's taking these branches and discarding them and they're getting burned up, but this can also be translated that God lifts them up. Dwight Pentecost, who taught at Dallas Seminary, pointed out, that to conserve moisture in Palestine, vines were allowed to grow along the ground to get the moisture from the ground. But then when they began to bud, they would be lifted up so that they could germinate and then continue to grow and bear fruit. That's what God did to me. I was a Christian, but I was unfruitful. And he lifted Virginia and me up by bringing people into our lives to bring us back to the Lord, first of all, And then over time, we began to be fruitful as we depended on the Lord. And then later on, so that we could produce more fruit, he he, uh, 
made it possible for us to go to Bible college in Canada and to serve him in that way. So he was developing us. He was lifting us up. He was pruning and dressing and trimming here and trimming there to prepare us for ministry. And the progression that God takes is that he takes an unfruitful Christian and then he lifts them up so he can begin to, or she, can begin to bear fruit. And then as you begin to bear fruit, he wants you to bear more fruit. And he's not happy there. He wants us to have much fruit. There should be growth in your pattern where you're going from some fruit to more fruit to much fruit. Not the other way around. That's living a fruitful Christian life. Now, there may be periods in your time where God has you in the green room because he's trimming and pruning and getting you maybe ready for the next chapter in your life, but there should be continued growth in your life. Every Christian abiding in Christ should be living a fruitful life. And then thirdly, believers are designed to live a fruitful life by glorifying God. In verses 7 eight, and 8, Jesus says another way we live a fruitful life is when we glorify God. And Jesus has been talking about abiding, but now he switches and begins to talk about prayer. And he gives a condition for prayers being answered. He says here, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. Now, we all know that's not a magic formula so that we can just abide in Christ or pray in his name and we're instantly going to get what we need. There's a condition for prayers being answered here. And the condition is if you what? Class? Abide in me. Well, how should abiding in Christ impact the way we pray so that our prayers are answered? Well, when we're abiding in Christ... We should have his thoughts and his words so that we are praying in concert with Christ or praying in things that are consistent with things that Christ would want. When we say, when we pray in Christ's name, we're talking about all that Christ is. That's his name. It's not just a formula we tap on to the end of our prayer. So when you're praying that prayer in Jesus' name, it should be consistent with the Son of God and his character and his teachings and the things that he was about. His words abiding us will control the way we think and the way we pray. And when we do that, and when we pray like that, God is glorified. And then believers are designed to live a fruitful life by keeping Christ's commands. In verse 9, Jesus invites us to experience the same kind of love that he experienced with the Father, and it's beyond my comprehension to, to understand that Christ loves me to the same degree that God loved the Son. It just blows my mind. I, I believe it because the Bible tells, tells me he does, but it's just it's more than my, the capacity of my mind to grasp. However, in verse 10, to experience this kind of abiding love, there's a condition. And the condition is what? Go ahead. Where's Stan? (laughs) He must be at the retreat. Obedience. 
if, you're, if we are obedient, obedient uh, Jesus abided in the Father's love because of his obedience, and we're called to abide in Jesus' love by our obedience too. Well, why does Jesus want to, us to experience his love by keeping his commands? So that we can experience what? It says right there. His joy. He wants us to have his joy. The Christian life was not intended to be a joy, joyless existence, but a life of joy. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. He wants us to experience that joy, but joy and happiness are two different things. Jesus had joy in pleasing God by his obedience. Paul, or not Paul, the writer of Hebrews, talking about running the race that is set before us, said, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There was no happiness in the cross for Jesus, but there was joy because Hebrews chapter 2 tells us he did it that he might bring many sons to glory. That's you and me. There was joy in Jesus' heart serving the Father. And you may have experienced this joy when you saw somebody in need and the Lord laid it on your heart and you wrote a check or you opened up your wallet and you helped that person and you know the verse, it's better to give than receive. You, you felt better about doing that than the person who was on the other end receiving the check. Or you shared the gospel with somebody and to your surprise, they said yes to Jesus. Uh, when Virginia and I were living out in the valley, we lived in this apartment complex that I had mentioned, and there was a young gal and her baby that um, had been evicted from their apartment because their parents, who were the custodians of the complex, were uh, fired. She had nowhere to go. So Virginia and I took her in for a couple of weeks until she could get situated and get on her own. Well, we lost track and uh, we moved around and moved to other apartments. And a couple of years later, I was now working at uh, not the store in Van Nuys where I'd started out, but now our sister store in Reseda. And one night I hear this on the glass door at the front of the store. And I didn't want to look up because I thought that's somebody wanting to buy a bicycle tube or something. And uh got louder. So eventually I got up and I went to the door and it turned out to be Chris, this gal who had lived with us for a short time. And uh, we talked a little bit. I invited her over to our house for supper. And we met with uh, Chris, found out that uh, during the time we had been separated, she had really gotten into an immoral lifestyle. And that night in our home, Virginia and I opened up the four spiritual laws. And we shared the four spiritual laws with Chris. And at the end, I asked her, would you like to receive Jesus Christ? And she smiled and said, yes. And I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I wasn't prepared for that. But we led her to the Lord, and she received the Lord. But there was that joy of being used by the Lord in obedience. And maybe you've experienced that, or maybe you were teaching a Bible lesson or a Bible study in your home or something like that. And somebody came up to you afterwards and said, you know, I never really understood that until, you know, you mentioned this or that. And 
That, that may not even been one of the main points you were talking about, but the Lord used you in that way. And you had the joy of seeing how God had worked through you. That's the kind of joy that Jesus wants us to experience as we depend on him. And as we're obedient to the Lord, we will experience uh, that joy. And not only that, but his abiding love and uh, knowing that we're serving him. In verse 12, one of the commands Jesus expects us to follow is to love one another. And how are we supposed to love one another? Well, the same way he loves us, right? And that's unconditionally. I couldn't begin to count the number of times Virginia has shown me the unconditional love of God. Um, my early years, I was really a hothead, and Virginia was God's tool in knocking those rough edges uh, off of me. Remember John, um, James and John, they were called the sons of thunder? Well, that was me before I started abiding in Christ. I had a real hothead. In school, I got into fights. I hit one guy so hard that uh, I almost blinded him. I had this real temper problem, and you took me off. I was prepared to take it outside and deal with it. I had this real attitude, but God worked on my anger and my temper. Those times when I've been discouraged, my wife has been there to show the unconditional love of God by encouraging me. And there's been many others over the years who have mentored me and taught me and coached me. We're all called to love one another, but even as a former pastor and elder, sometimes I've noticed that we live as though we are people who are called to compete with one another or dispute with one another. As a pastor, I seldom had two good weeks back to back because I was running around putting out one fire after the other. In fact, I was surprised that... uh, Between the two churches that I pastored, I took a course on church conflict. It's amazing that you have to have a whole course on dealing with church conflict. And there are different scenarios that you were given, and then, okay, now what would you do? But I was running around putting out fires, and just about the time I thought that fire was out, another fire was breaking out, and then this smoldering fire was coming back up again, and I'm called to preach the word of God to people, but I'm spending all my time running around putting fires out. God told, Jesus told us that we are to abide in his love, and he commands us that we are to love one another as he loves us. That's unconditional love. And if we are not doing that, we are disobedient, and we are not abiding in Christ. John 13 and 15 shows us what makes it possible for us to live, or excuse me, to love as Jesus did. There are a couple of reasons. One is because he gave us the example by laying down his life. No greater love has a man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Jesus showed us how to live sacrificially by going to the cross. And secondly, because we're called to, he calls us to be our friends, we have an intimate relationship with the Lord. Being a slave of Christ was great. Being a do-loss bond slave of the Lord was a great honor. But now he says, I have something better for you. 
Now I call you friends. There was a custom among Eastern kings and Roman emperors. They had a very select group of men called the friends of the king or the friends of the emperor. And they had access to the king that was unrestricted. In fact, they could even come into the king's bedchamber in the morning and interrupt him or wake him up and begin talking to him. None of his advisors or generals had that privilege. But Jesus calls us his friends. We're not slaves. We're, we're, we don't have a relationship where we have to wait till we can have an audience with Jesus. We can come to him at any time because we abide with him and because we're his friends. He gives us this tremendous offer to um, have this relationship with him. And if we abide in Christ, we'll, we will experience his love, his joy, and as a result, fruitful lives. And then fifthly, believers are designed to live a fruitful life by fulfilling their calling. Have you wondered why God chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world? Verse 16 says, you were called or appointed to bear fruit. That answers the question. Why did Jesus choose me? He chose you that you might go out and bear not only fruit, but much fruit and even more fruit. And if we are seeking to fulfill our calling by bearing fruit that will remain, we have the assurance that God, that as we pray, God will provide the resources. Jesus wants us to have fruit that will abide. That means that the things we're doing as we're abiding, hopefully will count for eternity. And we're engaged in a whole lot of frivolous activities but really only what we do as we're bearing fruit for Christ will have any eternal consequence. And in this passage, in this verse, and also back in John 14, 14, and in John 15, 16, when Jesus talks about praying and getting what you ask for, it's always in the context of service and fulfilling our mission. It's not a... uh, a promise that we'll get everything that we want. So how do we put it all together? The question for us this morning is, am I, am I living a fruitful life? These instructions to live a fruitful life were given to the disciples the last night of Jesus' physical life on earth. It was imperative that they followed through. And we only have to look at the book of Acts to see that as they did this, we see how it impacted the world. We're studying that on Sundays with Pastor Jason as we go through the book of Acts. We see Peter taking this as he abides in the Lord, and he preaches this great uh, sermon on the day of Pentecost. We see people like Paul abiding in Christ and planting churches all over uh, Asia Minor. The Lord's message, though, is not just a history lesson. It applies to each of one of us here today. When uh, It's his design that we uh, not only bear fruit, but that we bear much fruit that will last for eternity. You know, Jesus has given us the ability to live the only life worth living, but the choice is ours. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we would be able to uh, sense your heart through this teaching.
how important it was for you that we would abide in you. And Lord, uh, so often we're guilty of going our own way and doing our own thing. And uh, we ask your forgiveness and pray that once again you might, through your uh, Holy Spirit, lift us up, prune us, and help us to be more fruitful for the kingdom. So that day when we stand before you in your presence and we're looking at you face to face and we're giving you an accounting for our life, we'll be able to say, hear you say, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.com. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.